You're listening to Shows That Shaped Me, a podcast by What's On Stage. This week's guest is Artistic Director of Curve Leicester, Nikolai Foster. Born in Copenhagen, Denmark, Nikolai grew up in North Yorkshire and trained at Drama Centre London. As a director, his credits include Calamity Jane at the Watermill, Jonathan Harvey's Beautiful Thing at the Arts Theatre, Merrily We Roll Along at Theatre Cluid, Flashdance and Annie in the West End, and Hay Fever at Chichester Festival Theatre. In 2015, he took over from Paul Kerrison as Artistic Director of Curb Leicester, where he has held hit productions including Grease, The Importance of Being Earnest, Legally Blonde, Sunset Boulevard and Breakfast at Tiffany's, which transferred into the West End starring Pixie Lott. Most recently, he directed the world premiere stage adaptation of the 1980 film An Officer and a Gentleman. Here is Nikolai Foster. The most memorable production in my career to date probably has to be Sunset Boulevard, which we produced at Curve last year alongside Michael Harrison and David Ian. And I think Sunset Boulevard really sticks out um, because it, it was so special in so many different ways. And I think the sort of first thing to say is that when I was a kid, we had an amazing teacher who would sort of who was a real theatre nut and was really passionate about reading plays with us and teaching us about the theatre and taking us on school trips to see shows. So whether that was, you know, off to the West Yorkshire Playhouse to see, you know, Barry Rutter and Northern Broadsides or, you know, some obscure play, play at, you know, Leeds University campus or, or indeed shows in the West End, we'd all sort of be packed off and go. And one of those theatre trips to London, which were always, you know, that bit more exciting because we were all excited to come down to London. This was a comprehensive school in Yorkshire that I attended, was um, Sunset Boulevard at the Adelphi Theatre. And it was one of those sort of seminal theatre moments because you hear this incredible score, you follow this extraordinary story which I realised as a young gay teenager that I think there were many themes in that about sort of loneliness and unrequited love and obviously this sort of diva figure right in the middle of it really sort of spoke to me. Um, But also I just remember being blown away by the scale of it and these extraordinary sets and costumes and it was the first time I really appreciated what a stage could do in terms of delivering something that was thrilling from every single department whether it was the direction the performances the costumes the lighting it was just it had such a profound effect on me um and so obviously at that point I never dreamed I would ever have a career in the theatre um never mind that you know I'd get to a point where I actually was directing Sunset Boulevard so to direct the piece to work with Andrew, to work with Don and to work with Christopher, to work with Michael and David and the team at RUG was really incredible. Um, And it really felt like coming full circle, if you like. And also, of course, our leading lady was coming full circle on that project as well. When When the piece was originally being written and conceived, she was the first ever actor to sing that role and to navigate her way through that incredibly complex and sort of mind-blowing um, oasis that you know the writers gave her. So to then create our new production, 
with Rhea Jones, with Danny Mac, with our incredible actors and to create an equally visually sort of stunning world with Colin Richmond, who's a designer I've collaborated with on many shows. It just felt really special. It's a really difficult question to answer. What is the most memorable production I've seen and and why? Because I guess, like so many of us working in the theatre, theatre-goers, audiences, there are so many great, memorable, extraordinary pieces of theatre being made up and down the country every uh, day of the week. I think the one that came to mind when you asked the question, so I'm going to talk a little bit about this one, is a production of Arnold Wesker's Chips With Everything that was directed by Howard Davies, and it must have been about, must have been about 15 years ago at the National Theatre. And it was sort of after, it was sort of the next sort of bit of my theatrical education after we'd sort of gone on the school trips and seen things like Sunset Boulevard that I'd spoken about earlier. I think it must have been around the time I was at drama school. And so obviously my tastes were shifting and um, my theatre going experiences were, I think, becoming more daring and a little bit more, um, I, I was more curious and um keen to get off the beaten track of stuff I'd seen before and I didn't really know much about Arnold Wesker um, and I was absolutely blown away by this production and I remember sitting in the Littleton and seeing this huge group of actors um, marshalled, you know, literally marshalled, it's a play about military life and the experiences of Um, serving men and women in the military. So to literally, you know, see the way that Howard Davies used the space and Rob Howell's extraordinary design and these incredible actors, people like Eddie Marson and Rupert Penry Jones before they really became sort of huge sort of household names as they are today. And the politic of the play, the look of it, the feel of it. And I just remember it being profoundly moving and I remember being at drama school and thinking wow that's the sort of theatre I'd like to make and be involved in and and just it sort of just I can't I can't I'm not describing it very well but the whole tone and atmosphere of what happened in that room and what the director was able to conjure was really special and I think it was really balancing the politic of the play with the humanity of these characters experiences those two things together I think it was the first time I'd really seen that where I was like really aware of the mirror, the sort of play held to society as well as it being very moving. I think at college we were always like taught about Brecht and that was political, but you didn't feel anything. And Stanislavski and you, you know, you felt shitloads, whereas this really sort of brought those two worlds together for me for the first time. The production I wished I had seen but missed has to be Joe or. Joe Orton. No, not Joe Orton. John Osborne. I wish I'd have seen all the original productions <laughs> of Joe Orton's plays. But the one that sort of sprang to mind was um, John Osborne's Look Back in Anger at the Royal Court in 1956. Again, it sort of goes back to my education, really. And at school, we had an amazing English teacher who was really unafraid to go off piste in terms of the curriculum. It was back in the day when teachers had a lot more freedom and weren't so duty-bound by KPIs and exams. And we just spent 
terms and terms. I mean, it felt like years just reading about the Royal Court Theatre, literally from John Osborne's Look Back in Anger right through to the late 80s. And we covered playwrights, you know, Sheila Delaney, Arnold Wesker, Harold Pinter, Joe Orton, John Osborne. We studied these writers and their contribution to world theatre and the impact they had and continue to have not just on British theatre and British society but indeed world theatre in real detail and I just remember Miss Neat telling us about this play and us reading this play and this idea that this ironing board on stage was like this revolutionary F-bomb that just exploded in the centre of British theatre and the British establishment and how it really exploded people's thinking about what plays could be and their function, not just within British theatre but within society as a whole. And of course, we look back on that play now, especially within the context of many of the things we're looking at today. And of course, it feels dated and the misogyny, um, which is inherent and sort of strung through the fabric of the play, is, is abhorrent in many ways. But the play still represents a turning point in British theatre. And I think when you learn about the actors who were in it and the directors and the people making work at the Royal Court Theatre around that time. It just feels like such an extraordinarily rich and sexy and tasty time. And I wish I could get into my TARDIS and go back in time and just sit there in Sloan Square and, you know, the curtain goes up and there's an ironing board and you hear the, you know, the glitterati and the well-to-do of London theatre sort of gasp and their pearls trembling that, you know, things might be changing and changing for the better. And, you know, it's not quite as, um, it's not quite as like clear as that as the moment, but it does feel like things are really changing and that the foundations of British theatre, British society are really changing at the moment and perhaps we can't sort of quantify it as an ironing board at the moment. Maybe we'll be able to look back retrospectively in a few years and go, ha, that's the symbol for this really exciting moment of change we seem to be going through at the moment where we're really challenging inequality and standing up to bullies and people who sort of are getting in the way of progress. This, again, was a really difficult question to ask, answer who would, you know, I like I most like to work with, dead or alive. And um, I thought long and hard about it. And also, I don't really have one person, so I'm not really going to answer the question very well. But I, 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 I feel as a theatre person that I get too caught up in theatre. And so I'm constantly trying to read and research and learn about things outside of the sort of theatre bubble. So the first sort of person I stumbled on was Elvis Presley. I thought I'd really love to have been a roadie for him. That would have sort of been an amazing sort of period of rock and roll history to be around and sort of seeped in. He's an incredible artist. And what he did for, um, in terms of bridging or bringing rather, African-American culture and R&B music to a much wider and predominantly wide white audience I thought was really extraordinary 
and he's just such a humble, beautiful, talented, extraordinary human being. So he was somebody I thought like, you know, if you, again, if you could get in the TARDIS and just, you know, do a job unlike mine without all the pressure of, you know, being artistic director of a, you know, major cultural organisation, I'd love to have been a roadie for um, Elvis Presley. I'd love to have worked with him. Thank you for listening to Shows That Shaped Me, a podcast by What's On Stage. If you enjoyed listening, please do subscribe on iTunes so that you don't miss a single episode.